I can't see you, Deb. Oh, there you are, but you're muted. Yeah. You. Can you? And I can hear you, so <laughs> I don't know what I did, but it's fixed. All right. Oh, yeah. How are you? Excellent. Good. I forget sometimes, but I'm still excellent. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> There's Lawrence. I'm going to mute me. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. How are you? Well, I uh, feel pretty good this morning. It's a good start. It's early here, of course, and uh, I'm just uh, kind of rolling out of bed and uh, getting moving, as the case may be. Jaws mm -hmm. all look good here this morning. Good morning, Ron. Good to see you, my friend. Absolutely. Hey, Ron, I sent you some stuff on, I think it was on Facebook Messenger. Do you ever check that? I don't. Um, there I'll, you go. I can, I can check it right now. I'm, uh, I am not much of a Facebook person, so. Oh, don't worry. I just sent you something. I had a question for you and didn't realize that was not on your thing, but uh, don't, don't sweat. No, I will, I will go to Facebook right now and uh, check it out. Not a problem. You know, there's so many ways we communicate back and forth. We never know exactly which medium to use. I see it. <laughs> no problems. Hey there. Good morning. Hola. Howdy. <laughs> Right. I'm happy to be with all of you this morning. And uh, no headset. The last couple classes said, oh, don't use that headset. It worked great last week with uh, one of the classes, but now. It was ours. You sounded good last week. You sound, you, sound, you, sound, you sound real good right now, too. The vagaries. It's the vagaries. <laughs> All right. Gremlins. Yes, exactly. Oh, so let's take that breath of love and gratitude together. So grateful and so thankful that we are choosing resurrection, ascension, awakening, enlightenment. So grateful to gather together with this holy purpose active in our awareness. We are that virtual circle of love and light coming together and partnering up with the higher Holy Spirit self, being in this place of gratitude 
and love, love for each other, love for ourselves, gratitude that we can come together, gratitude for this gift of precious human birth, gratitude for everything that we have learned, everything we are learning. So grateful and thankful to consciously call forth all manner of dynamic assistance and support from the visible and the invisible. We gather together and dedicate ourselves to our awakening and we dedicate our conversation to this deep and abiding healing. We are grateful and thankful to call forth the violet flame, that penetrating ray of transformation to soak and saturate Mother Earth, every being, every kingdom, every particle of life on Earth, filling our hearts and filling our minds. We are grateful to allow that violet flame to loosen up any hardened, concretized beliefs, all negative karma, so that we are fully available and choosing to let it go now and forever. In gratitude, we share the benefits of our awakening, our healing, our expansion, our clarity with all beings because we're one with them. So grateful to simply allow it to be. And so it is. Amen. 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 Yeah. So, uh, uh, listening to the most recent community call, which was, I believe, last Wednesday, uh, and I would just like to share a couple of things. So there's a lot of talk about healing, which is great. And um, one thing is, and actually, um, I, 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 I learned this from Liz's husband, Paul who probably just walked through the room there. And um, is that Paul? Oh, no. Hey, that's Britta. Hey, nice to see you. I didn't want to interrupt, but nice to see you. <laughs> Britta's a, a rock star in L.A. <laughs> yeah, off to band rehearsal. Oh, there she goes. So... Um, I remember when Britta was a newborn baby. That's when I first met her. Yeah, she'd sit in our prayer circles, oftentimes naked as a little girl. I called her the, the, the little prayer bunny. And um, actually, you know, one of my favorite stories about Britta, Liz, is... Um, you, you told me that you and Paul were driving in the car. Britta was in her car seat in the back. Do you remember that? And she, uh, and you, the two of you were arguing and she said to you, do you remember what she said? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it was the funny part was we were just leaving the church parking lot <laughs> and we started screaming at each other about God knows what. And Bridge goes, guys, Guys, can we just think about God? Yeah, and she was like four years old. Right. Yeah. So, I love that. Parents, uh, kids teaching the parents. And All there's the time. another wonderful, there's so many wonderful stories about Britta, of course, because she's just a little angel. Um, but another one that I really loved about Britta was, I remember one time, uh, 
you and Paul told this story of, um, oh, she was probably about nine. And there was some kid at school who was getting in trouble. He was acting out. And um, she was, uh, and the principal saw her in, in the uh, schoolyard with her head down on the picnic table. Do you remember that one? Yes. And, and what, do you want to tell that story? Well, um, <clears throat> yeah, she was just, uh, uh, his name was Darren, Darren. And uh, yeah, he had a lot of problems and didn't have any friends. And so she said that if she just thought, she just sat there and prayed and thought about good things for Darren, then good things would happen. Yeah. The teacher, the teacher went over to her and said, um, Britta, are you okay? Because the whole, there was like all this turmoil in the schoolyard and people were all upset because he had started a fight or something like that. And Britta had gone over and put her head down on the picnic table and the principal came over and said, Britta, are you okay? And she said, I'm just praying for Darren. To, for him to know that he is a good boy. That's right. What That's right. Yeah. He is a good boy. Gosh, our kids are brilliant, aren't they? They are. You know, fortunately, Britta never listened to anything you said. <laughs> or she never paid any. Actually, she probably listened to everything you half of what you said and ignored most of what you did. And the combination somehow. No, kidding. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's amazing what uh, what powerful awareness children have when uh, it's cultivated and nurtured. It's really beautiful, which I know is why Liz is so dedicated to working in youth ministry for so many years. Plus she likes to play like a kid. Yeah. That's the main thing. Yeah. So, uh, so going back to the conversations about healing, what I remember is Liz's husband, Paul, one time was talking to Michael Beckwith at church and Liz had had some kind of a diagnosis about a lump a long time ago, something like that. And um, uh, Paul was asking Reverend Michael for prayer for Liz. And um, I remember what Paul told me was that the first thing Michael Beckwith said was, um, that has no power. You know, like what the doctor said has no power. The lump has no power. None of that has any power. And uh, it, it just really stuck with me. And you may have heard me talk about that before. So this is the thing is, I, I fully understand, believe me, the curiosity about, well, what was the diagnosis? What was the prognosis? What was the treatment? What was the prescription? You know, what are the experts saying about it? Now, all that curiosity, totally understandable. Is it bad? Of course not. Is it wrong? No, of course not. But what's that curiosity for? What is that curiosity for? What's it about? Why do we want all that information? So, for instance, um, uh, Carla and Deb and Ron were uh, actively talking about this in the community call last Wednesday. 
So what's all that curiosity for? You know, just paying attention to what, what, why am I interested in that? What is that? How can that be helpful to me? What's really, what's underneath it all? What's my intention? I think it's trying to find a way of comfort. Try, you know, instead of going to God and getting your comfort there, in our human experience, we want a human experience of comfort. Comfort my humanness. And, you know, when what we really should do is just hunker right down there and know where our comfort is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also think that the ego sometimes needs to think it's in charge and it's in control. And we have to gather all this information so we can get a plan together or to get a better understanding. Sometimes I think that's helpful to the ego to stay in charge, to gather information. Yeah. At at the same time, I don't think information gathering is token is, is always ego motivated. Uh, I think that uh, there is a place for modern science and medicine um, for spirit to guide us to potentially make that kind of choice. So I would suggest that depending on where you're coming from, that really just gathering information, uh, know what you do with that information, uh, whether you buy into that information, whether you give that information power, um, maybe is the question. Yes. And that's the thing is, if you're making a great effort to gather the information, might it then become very valuable to you? Might it not become an attachment? I mean, it can be. I, I think it's, that's very possible. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think it's one of those, um, I wouldn't say two-edged swords. It's something that could be helpful on one hand, but if you cross a certain line or if you're in it with a certain mental uh, state of mind uh, that, that it can definitely give it power and, and be, for lack of a better term, uh, produce results in form <laughs> that are not, not what we intended. Right. Yeah, there are times when I have a physical something going on. I, 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 I will only tell certain people about it because I don't wish their negative projections to be in my, my experience. It's, I'm not helping them also. If I give them something t- to run down their negative corridor war with, do you know what I mean? So it's, it's just a great place for us to practice, right? No matter what, everything works together for good. There are no exceptions. And we can discern the highest path. We can. We have that ability to discern the highest path of love and healing. So that's one of the things is that, and I really saw that with my mother. Uh, I'm sure you, you've all heard me tell some stories about my experience with my mother. And, um, you know, the doctor said, literally said to us, I, I, think if she does a course of chemo, it will be more likely to hurt her than to help her. And that's what I'm prescribing. And I said to him, I said, so you're prescribing the chemo, even though you think it's more likely to hurt her than to help her? He said, yes. And I said, so is that because if you don't prescribe it, you could get in trouble with your insurance company? And he said, yes, I think you understand what's going on. 
And so we left the building, we got in the car, and I, I was like, wow, that was really interesting. And I said, um, you know, and then later my mother said, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to do that chemo. And I was like, really? After the doctor said it's more likely to hurt you than to help you? I said, Mom, I really think your constitution, it, it literally, the chemo could kill you, which it does kill people all the time, right? And, um, and for some people, it, it helps them, right? If their mind is, is open to it helping them, it helps them. So my mom ended up taking one. She, she, my parents, both of them who were in the room, heard exactly what the doctor said, and I made him repeat it. They both denied that that's what he said. They said, no, he never said that. I said, don't you remember I asked him, to? I repeated it back to him, and, and they were like, oh, Jennifer, you just hear what you want to hear, or something like that. And I was like, okie dokie. And so my mom went ahead and she did one course of chemo. And after that, she said, I'd rather die than do another one. I'd rather die. So I was like, good, I'm glad, because I think if you did another one, you would. So um, so just interesting things happen. We, we, you know, there's a, often a tendency to give up our um, sovereignty to an expert. And I've had some experts tell me, don't you understand I'm an expert and this is what I'm advising you. And, and you know, it can be a, a, a tricky conversation to be able to say, yes, I hear you. I hear you. No disrespect. I'm, I'm going to think about it, you know. And then I know I've already got my guidance, so I don't have to think about it. But do, do you know? So it's, it's really about learning to follow guidance and to recognize how all the myriad forms that ego can play itself out in. Carla. So I, I remember that we talked about the ataxia that is appearing in my life, right? And I think, and, um, and I was very uncomfortable. I was very uncomfortable talking about it, but I, I allow myself to feel that uncomfortability and to continue to talk about it. And so is that, is there a way to do that? Because I did, I was allowing myself to do something that is to actually I was getting attention, right? I mean, in a way, right. And so, and I was very uncomfortable with that too. And I didn't know if it was the talking about it or the attention. Right. And so my, I guess my question is, um, that's giving attention to it. Right. But yet that's, I didn't want to do that, but I wanted to be able to receive, um, the comfort in the concern, right. And the talk, right. But I, I don't know. I just, you know, so it really comes down to when I'm thinking about it right? Yep. And the, and your feelings help you to discern what your thoughts are, right? And there, aren't there a multitude of reasons why you might feel uncomfortable talking about it? Yes. Yeah. I know there are times when, um, 
I feel vulnerable and there's something that is coming up for healing and I don't wish to talk about it with certain people who I don't think that their discussion with me is going to be helpful to me. And then other times, even though it's pure ego, what they're saying to me, it triggers some insight from my intuition that's very helpful to me. Um, and then there are other times when I'm really clear, no, don't, don't talk about this except with these people. And so there's no hard and fast rule. It's really about being able to be present in the moment. And because uh, that's where the clarity is. That's where the love is. That's where the flow of divine wisdom is. You know, and it's like um, for you as a spiritual counselor, uh, you could have 10 clients with almost identical issues and every single one of them, uh, different things would be the, the way to support them. So it's all about that unique individuality and honoring that too. And even in me, 10, ten times the same thing can come up and it can be different too, right? Exactly. Yes, beautiful. I mean, I'm nursing is even now, just even now this brief comment, I'm like, tears are coming to my eyes because I don't know what that is. Yeah, you know, well, there's, I know for me that, that um, I used to have a lot of tears that were about releasing old sadness related to times when I thought I would never reach this point, whatever this point is in that moment. There were so many times when I just, I hid my sadness, I buried my sadness, I buried my worry, my fear, my doubt, the shame, blame, I buried it all under um, uh, just, just not thinking about that, you know, just not going to think about that. And um, I'll, I'll, that stuff uh, it doesn't come up very much anymore, but it, it, there for, were a number of years where it just came up all the time. And I would cry, and my tears would often be tears of gratitude, releasing that sadness that for so long I didn't allow myself to have those kinds of conversations, these kinds of conversations. For so long I didn't allow myself to be seen, to be heard, to be felt, that I was ashamed, that I was afraid, and now I'm... I'm feeling differently, and just releasing the old, old sadness. Yep. Uh, so, just looking at these things as relates to issues of healing. Does anybody have any other thoughts about this? And Ron, I thought you shared beautifully about, you know, you're going for these tests each month. You know, I um, 
Hey, I like to weigh myself. There's, I don't think, you know, I like to, uh, um, I don't do it very much anymore, but I used to like to take my pulse and different things like that. Curiosity. I think you said you were in the, in that community call, you were going to be getting some result back. Yes, I did. Uh, and it came back at 4.8. Um, you know, what they, what common medical science says is 4.0 or below. Uh, I was at 4.5, maybe three years ago, four years ago. And then in December it was a five to 5.5 and then into January it was I tested twice one at eight and one at 9.2 so and then I tested at four in February and then 4.8 some um, extremely it's again interesting information uh, I think what it tells me more than anything is PSA is not a very good indicator of, of anything because to have that kind of movement here and there there's got to be something going on dietary or otherwise that also impacts it um or i mean listen it could could be a it could could be a healing of something that took place but uh, um you know it's it's not something i think i may have it done one more time maybe in a couple months but outside of that i don't think i'm really going to have it done again yeah and you know here's the thing with things like that if if that's your gut feeling follow that if there's some assurance that it brings you, then why not? Why not? It's not causing any harm. So why not? I, I feel that, um, I know that uh, Gary Renard told me a couple of times that he, um, he had friends who had had cancer and they said, well, I'm not going to do the chemo. And they passed away. And he was like, so do you do the chemo? Don't do the chemo. How do we know? People die from chemo. You know, it's, um, it's really about following what's in our heart and being able to listen to that guidance. And because there are many people, I think, who would say, well, I'm not doing chemo because I'm only relying on spiritual methods. But they don't actually have faith in those spiritual methods. You know, I, I thought it was very interesting that um, when Wayne Dyer was diagnosed with cancer, one of the things he did was he went to John of God, which there's nothing wrong with going to John of God. Absolutely. I, I'd love to go see John of God. I think that would be in a wonderful experience. And we were talking about um, Liz and I know somebody who had eye surgery done by John of God. He took a, literally took a table knife and inserted it into her eye. Yikes. Um, <laughs> that's a tremendous amount of faith. You know, but having an experience like that will show you where your faith is. Okay, am I willing to have that? You know, and, um, and where is my faith? Is my faith in God or is my faith in John of God's ego we don't you know we need to look at these things so um some people will say oh i'm only going to subscribe to spiritual methods and they actually don't have the faith so um I, it can feel like their ego tricked them or maybe they're just done 
and this is their ticket to ride, you know, they're done with this incarnation and they're just ready to, to start over again, something like that, which um, all things work together for good. So, and um, I was with John Mundy earlier this month. He was doing one of his Manhattan uh, miracles in Manhattan lectures and uh, he brought up about, I think it was in the lecture, not at dinner. Um, he brought up about he had had cancer, um, which he's talked about a bit in, in some of my Living of Course Miracles radio shows. But he was saying how he, um, you know, he went through chemo. He went through 60 treatments of chemo, he said. And... Uh, that is a lot of chemo. That is a lot of chemo. And um, he, uh, he got to a point where he just was, he was really suffering. And he said, he just said to spirit, just go ahead, take me, you know, whatever, whatever, just take me, take me, don't take me, take me, you know, I'm, I'm yours. And, um, and then he started to get better. And so we talked about it a little bit. I asked him about it. I said, do you think that it was because you moved into that place of the ego surrendering, uh, trying to heal the body or not heal the body? Just like, okay, spirit, you take the controls. I'm not going to try and make this healing happen. And um, because the spirit allows and the ego tries to make it happen. And uh, I know for me personally, uh, that's been a huge amount of my work is am I allowing it? Am I trying to make it happen? Right. And that for me, I noticed it comes up particularly in just trying to get things put on the website. Am I trying to make it happen? Am I allowing it to happen? So we all have our, our places in our life where we're looking at, am I trying to make it happen? Am I allowing spirit to bring it into being? Any thoughts or questions on any of that? All right. I... Uh, I'm going to turn to the impersonal life. And um, while we're doing that, I just would like to uh, say that um, I have a project that um, I am looking for people to volunteer, people to hire. Uh, we are going through literally... I don't know how many. There might be, let's say, 1,500 blogs that I've written over the last few years. And we're categorizing them. We're uh, doing some evaluations about them. Looking to, uh, I'm looking at doing a book of 365 uh, inspiration and some other things about repurposing those those pieces of writing and um, and also doing some mm, 
categorization at the website. And so I'm looking for some volunteers or again, some people that we can hire to um, help us make some evaluations. So reading the blog and saying, okay, this is what the topic is. Cause sometimes the subject line doesn't really clearly say what the topic is. And we're going to separate things into maybe 25 different categories and um, some things like that. And, um, and also looking at the quality because uh, some of them are, are, are deeper, more profound. Some of them are funny, just looking at those kinds of things. And some of them are based around videos or other things uh, or other people's writing. So um, uh, the ministry can pay, oh, like, $15 an hour for people. We're also taking volunteers or so um, if anybody is interested in that, will you email me at mlc at jenniferhadley.com and then we can give you what further details about what the project is and how you can participate. Any questions about it right this moment? Okay, great. So in personal life, we're going to pick up, uh, just going back a little bit. So in my little book, one, page 115, uh, talking about the Garden of Eden. And um, so uh, in the middle of the page there, uh, in the middle of that paragraph, kind of, it says, you being one of my attributes, naturally had dominion over all these mediums, right, on the earth, or possessed the power of utilizing any or all of them, if necessary, for the full and complete expression of your, my, attributes, powers, and possibilities. In this manner, and for this reason alone, did you and your brothers and sisters come into human expression. While in human form, yet... Your expression was so entirely impersonal that though conscious, you still looked holy to me within for inspiration and guidance. This then was the first condition into which you awakened when you entered into earth expression and is what is called the Edenic state or dwelling in the Garden of Eden. This Edenic state represents the celestial phase of impersonal consciousness or that state in which you were still consciously one with me, though now confined in a mortal medium of expression. So he's saying in that Garden of Eden experience, we were so tuned into God that we weren't uh, so much individually expressing. And uh, we were still looking completely to God for guidance and inspiration. And doesn't that seem like that would be idyllic? Yes, it is. Um, so this was where we started this, this human journey from. It says, now I shall tell you in detail how or why it became necessary for me to drive you, now manifesting as man or humanity, out of the Garden of Eden. So here's basically um, the... Mother, Father, God telling us 
something a little sounds that it, it's it drove us out of the garden of eden right so it's not that we uh had some sin which is blamed on the feminine right that the feminine's conniving or so curious that she ruined it all but the man is so um uh just eat anything you know that uh he, it's it's his fault you know whose fault is it it's their fault it's our fault you know these are the sins right so it says I shall not tell you in detail how or why it became necessary for me to drive you out of the Garden of Eden, other than to remind you of the part that desire plays in earth expression and its relation to my will. How it, desire, centers your interest in outer things and makes you forget me within. When you've solved that and comprehended somewhat of my reason, then perhaps you can understand the necessity of first causing you, humanity, to fall into a deep sleep. You have arrived at the close of another cycle called a cosmic day and of letting you dream you had awakened, but in reality you were and are still asleep. And everything from that day to this, including all seeming earthly events and conditions, have been but a dream, right? So ever since we were uh, driven out of the Garden of Eden, that idyllic state, we fell asleep, we've been in, we thought we woke up, but we've been dreaming the whole time. It says, and we're going to fully awaken only when you, humanity, again, become wholly conscious of me within and of finding yourself, humanity, no longer outwardly one, but two, one in active thinking, aggressive part, thereafter called a man, and the other a passive feeling, receptive part, a womb man or woman. So now that we've gone through all this sleep experience, now we're waking up in this experience of um, being awake and uh, not just looking for inspiration and guidance, but to have our own volition right? Which is still God expression. Does that make sense? So it says also the necessity of these seeming earth influence being brought to bear, draw your consciousness from purely celestial delights and to hold it in this new dream condition in order to develop a mortal mind that you might through its natural selfish tendencies become centered entirely upon your earthly mission of mortal expression and the wisdom of having this influence through the serpent of selfishness, the shape I caused it to assume in your mind, first generate in the passive feeling receptive part of you desire the mortal agent of my will, which was to supply the motives and the power 
for the further complete expression of my attributes on this earth. So desire becomes the mortal, so the human agent of God's will. Now, uh, you, you, most of you, you've, you've all read this by now, right? Seven Sacred Flames. So we're going to talk about that today too. So uh, in there, over and over and over again, they say you cannot wake up from this dream of separation until you really desire it. Until you apply your desire now, having cultivated it for all these lifetimes. I want this. I want that, right? Desiring sex and, and control over people and dominion over the body and all these different things that we've desired. And the, we could say it's the misuse of desire, but it's just the exploration of desire, right? That's what we're being told here. Now, we can focus it completely as to desire only to express in a godlike way that now instead of depending on mother father god to give us everything right which was the garden of eden state now we're recognizing that because of our union with mother father god we are everything and we can manifest for ourselves by using the god mind that we don't have to wait for God to give us something, that now we can manifest it for ourselves. We can be ascended masters. Does that make sense? Any thoughts about that as we're, we're getting it here from this text? And you can see how, like, one of the things that I remember having this conversation with uh, Gary Renard, he and I did a retreat at Unity Village back in 2012. And um, after days of doing this retreat and, you know, listening to him talk, we would, I would like do a workshop. He would give a talk. And um, I, I, the two of us were, were talking together and answering questions together. And I don't know what the question was anymore, but I said, okay, look, here's, what I've come to understand. It's like we all said, let's go on Star Trek Enterprise and let's go where nobody's ever gone before. Let's take this road of separation all the way to the ends of the earth until we feel completely and totally desperately separate from each other, separate from God, the worst of the worst. We've completely forgotten our true identity. And then once we get there, we'll make our way back. And we'll all do it differently and uniquely and explore and explore, explore, all sharing in the one mind these amazing, uh, unique permutations, right? So, and we will repeat the same patterns lifetime after lifetime, refining our perception, our understanding, our learning, and taking it all back to the source. Okay, so, uh, and I said, and what A Course in Miracles tells us is we forgot to laugh. We forgot to laugh about it. We forgot to realize it's a dream and we can laugh about it, that we can't actually be lost. And Gary actually got really upset and he said, he said, well, I believe A Course in Miracles. 
And he was basically saying that whole thing about Star Trek Enterprise, nah, that's not in A Course in Miracles. So we were taking the plane back to LA and I said, so Gary, it says in the section about forgetting to laugh, it says that we locked onto this tiny mad idea at which we forgot to laugh. Hi, Christy. And uh, <laughs> uh, we forgot to laugh at the tiny mad idea, the tiny mad idea being that we actually are separate from God, that we actually are not good enough, that we are actually guilty of having done something against God or offended God. That's the tiny mad idea, right? So I said, Gary, notice that Jesus, he's saying this to Helen when? In the late 60s, right? When at that time, the word mad was being used in places like uh, saying, it's a mad, 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 mad world. It's crazy. It, it, so it's not a bad idea. It's not a terrible idea. It's not a, a punishable idea. It's a crazy, it's a, it's a mad idea. It's a wackadoo idea. It's a what? What a crazy idea. And we forgot to laugh at the wackiness of it, the craziness of it, the madness of it. That's what we forgot. But nonetheless, we, we haven't gone anywhere. So I said, how is what I'm saying about going on this adventure really not in alignment with A Course in Miracles, right? To me, you know, there's so many things about uh, the way people interpret A Course in Miracles that they just want to say we have wasted. There's no good reason for us going on this incredible journey. And I don't believe that there's no good reason. I just don't believe it. That doesn't make sense to me. That Because if all things work together for good, without exception, doesn't taking this wild ride work for our good? Of course it does. You know, you can't say, well, this applies here, but not there. And yes, it, Course in Miracles tells us that it's a meaningless journey. And I think that that is misinterpreted or misunderstood. Because what Jesus tells us over and over and over again in the Course is that the things of this world don't have any meaning because only God has meaning, only love has meaning, only that which is eternal has meaning in the, in the way that Course in Miracles uh, attributes meaning. And that's why it's a meaningless journey because nothing in the journey is eternal. But, of course, Miracles does tell us that we will retain the learning, and that's valuable. So to me, it's the same as what's being said here in the impersonal life. Any thoughts or questions about that? So I have a thought and a question. So it's really saying the reason we came back here
<laughs> is that God wanted us to wake up to more of who we are in that God expression. And so we sort of came through the divine feminine woman <laughs> through the womb. And even initially there, it's almost like we remember because the kids are young, they're innocent, they're connected. And then it's like we forget. When we get into earthly human desire, we forget, which is a good thing because it gives us the exploration to build our spiritual muscle, so to speak, to access more of the my attributes the God attributes, and to really come into full ascension and wakefulness to express them, to be God in human form, manifesting. Yeah, so we, it's like, if you think of uh, Adam and Eve uh, uh, as being, everything is provided for them. They don't have to work for anything, right? They have no shame, so they don't need to wear clothes. The temperature is perfect. There's nothing biting them and stinging them. There's no fear of anything. So they're just out there hanging out, relaxed, happy, enjoying everything. You know, they're probably fruitarians or whatever. You know, maybe they don't even need food, really. Who knows? We don't really know. But everything is, is idyllic. And they're just looking for direction from God and God's giving them everything. So then God saw, well, there's not much learning there, right? Because there's no self-expression. You're just taking whatever is, it's perfect, and every, all your needs are met by God. So then we go into this experience where we're cast out or driven out of that Edenic experience. Well, now we have to fend for ourselves. So now we have to forage for food. We have to find food. And if we don't find food, we're going to starve to death, right? And, and now there's, there's insects, right? So now we've got to wear clothes or we're going to get bitten up all the time, right? Uh, and, um, uh, you know, we, now there's weather. It's going to be cold. It's going to be hot. So we need clothes for protection and things like that. And so, you know, then, you know, as the millennia pass, we, we learn how to move from foraging from, for food to growing our own food, growing our own crops. We recognize, you know what, I can cultivate these things. And then I could take the wheat and turn it into bread and et cetera, et cetera, right? So we go on this journey of discovery for ourselves and uh, we're not separate from God, but we're having this experience of developing our own awareness, you know. And this, this is, um, a lot of you have raised children, right, or worked with children, or just even you can see it in yourself, that if you provide everything for a child, how, how, how much are they going to learn? Like, Elena, you've got three, three young children. So if you do everything for them, what do they learn? Nothing. Yeah, or, or they learn that they don't have to do anything. Yeah, yeah. 
and I can notice on my third one, he has tendency because he's the smallest and he likes to stay as a baby. So he like, can you serve me water? Can you do this? And uh, he would not, you know, he can do it himself, but he wouldn't. Yeah. So yeah. He likes to stay at this uh, yeah. baby moon. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas the older ones, like your daughter, she's the oldest. Uh, how is she different? But she's very, uh, like, like, for example, this evening, they came here because they have Kung Fu training. So I said, you know, I'm busy, so prepare them. So she prepares herself and the two brothers for, for the training. So she can take care of herself and take care of others. And she's very, um, like, independent. She can do a lot of things herself, and she wants to do them herself. As well. Right. So she's, yeah. Yeah. Anybody else uh, uh, firstborn? Okay. So, and, and Ron, you, you've had two children. Um, so, um, trying to think here. Jerry, you've had a few. Um, do, what do you notice about the differences in the birth order? Any other things we can share? Just look at that for a couple minutes. Yeah, I'm not sure on, on mine. Um, my daughter actually has more of my traits than my son. And well, I'm not sure that's true or not. <laughs> and half and half. But um, yeah, well, my son definitely has the, the headstrong part of uh, the firstborn as far as uh, the uh, go get it attitude per se, maybe not so much. Uh, so I'm not sure that it's quite uh, so applicable in, in my situation. Well, I know for me as a firstborn, I, I was absolutely desperate to be independent of my parents. Like, I just don't want you controlling me anymore because I was the firstborn. Everything I did, they were like, oh, honey, no, move it this way. Just another millimeter that, oh, there you go. Now it's perfect. You know, and I just wanted to like throw it across the room and say, no, now it's perfect. Now it's perfect. It's just perfect because I did it, <laughs> you know. And uh, I just got, just, I was so um, just weighed down by the constant correction. And I see that with other people, that the firstborn just gets so much attention of correction 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 whereas the the third born or the last born gets so much of just you're just so perfect the way you are you know i i'm sure i i couldn't even imagine what like i probably i would have said what happened if my parents ever said you're perfect the way you are this that that was never going to happen you know Any other thoughts about birth order and just, and also this, if everything is handed to you, do you actually learn? I'll share. Sean. I'm a middle child, so I learned a lot. <laughs> I think um, my brother was first born, so he got everything and my sister was a little baby and she was a little princess and, and I'm actually very... I wasn't always, but I'm thankful that I was a middle child because it did make me more independent. 
Yeah. Hey, Jennifer, this is Jerry. Um, regarding, you know, yeah, I do have three kids and I, I just remember um, the expectations we put, um, well, I put on my son. He, he would, uh, you know, we set the bar high for him, especially academically. And he would uh, come home like in fourth and fifth grade. He goes, you know, and I, if I don't get an A on a test, you always ask, you ask me if I get a B or B plus on, on my test, you always ask me what I got wrong. And then when Sammy and Maddie come home, they get like a B, you always say, oh, great job, great job. But for me, you always say, what did I miss? And um, so we set, I guess I set the bar real high for him. And he did meet that, you know, he did exceed, he did excel and meet that. that. But um, I was definitely expected more, especially acad more academically from him than I did for my daughters, because I knew he had it. I knew he had the brain. Right. I, I, I saw how he processed math problems, information. He got right. it. Right. Where my girls were more like me, struggled a little bit more. Right. And so maybe I cut them some slack, but I, I saw that he had it. If he right. was disciplined enough, he could. At any rate, that's, um, but then the girls felt uh, that they had to compete with him. They had to compete at his standard. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I definitely uh, had ex more expectations from him. It, so, yeah, yeah, and that—that's a common thing too. To that, parents see that different abilities that their children have, and then they have different expectations simply because of the different ability, or they're looking to um, encourage and inspire children to follow their their gifts and talents and explore them mm -hmm. so i mean let's face it if um if the complex things of life th that uh, the complex weaving of things like um just maintaining a household. If somebody was doing all that for you, if it was magically happening, would you learn? It, like if you would put your clothes in a hamper when they were dirty and then they would magically end up back in your closet, back in your drawers, would you learn anything about doing laundry? Now, I don't know about you folks, but laundry has been a teacher to me. Right, because I, particularly as a woman, I've put things in the wash, thinking, you know, if I put this in on delicate, and I don't put it in the dryer, this I don't have to wash this by hand, right? Or if you put it in one of those uh, mesh bags, then you don't have to wash it by hand. And sometimes that goes well, and sometimes it doesn't go well. So you learn something, right? And then that will influence what you buy and what you don't buy. Well, I know if I buy this, I'm going to have to wash it by hand, you know, and sometimes, you know, so there's just like all kinds of refinement. You know, you think about if you'd like to have a beautiful garden in your yard and you have a yard, uh, you know, and you'd love to have potted plants along the 
deck, let's say, and you'd like to have, um, you know, flowering trees, always something flowering every year in the yard at every season or, you know, spring and summer and fall, then you're going to do certain kinds of plantings and certain kinds of things. But if it's all just done magically for you, you're not going to learn anything about the relationship of the different things in the garden to the weather, to the water, to the rain, to the sun, all the different things you will learn about Mother Earth and the seasons and which animals nest where and why and all those, which ones eat which berries and seeds and which ones draw butterflies and which ones don't. You never learn any of that, right? If the garden is magically done for you. So then you don't have these interactions with life. So where's your learning? Where's your growing? So this is what I'm saying here is we were driven out of the Garden of Eden. We weren't cast out. We were driven out. Now it's like the, the bird being pushed out of the nest, right? Now you've got to fly. Right? Isn't that what parents do? They bird parents, they push their birds out of the nest. You know, imagine what that feels like to be a baby bird. Like, holy shit, right? Ah! You know, gotta learn to fly. And the trust that the parent has to push it out of the nest. Well, work for me, it'll work for them, you know. So, you know, it's like monkeys at some point, you know, they carry their babies for a long time. And then at some point, it's like, no, you're, you got to carry yourself now, dude. Because <laughs> that's why we all learn to walk. You know, as long as our legs can carry us, we're determined to walk. We're, we're not going to be crawlers, even though we fall and fall and fall. But if we never had to learn how to walk we would have a whole different orientation to our life, right? But we became determined to walk. So it's that desire. It's that, so back to the bottom of 118. And finally, the necessity of desire, casting its complete spell over you, humanity, and that your celestial or impersonal nature might be kept deep in sleep until in your dream, by the free but ignorant use of my will, you could taste and fully eat of the fruit of the so-called tree of knowledge of good and evil, and through the eating could learn properly to discriminate and know its fruit for what it really is, and thus acquire the strength to use the knowledge thus gained wisely and perfectly in the expression of my idea only. So no sin, exploration, adventure, learning, curriculum. You likewise possibly now can understand how in your dream you became more and more engrossed in and attached to this false earth state through first eating of this fruit and learning to know good and evil and after learning of the new and enticing world thus opened up to you, dying to the knowledge of the reality back of it all and how and why it was you learned how, excuse me, and how and why it was you learned that you were naked, both the thinking and the feeling parts of you, and also why you grew afraid and tried to hide from me, thus creating in your consciousness 
the sense of separation from me. There's the tiny mad idea. Now, perhaps you can see why this all had to be, why you, humanity, had to leave the Edenic state of impersonal consciousness and lose yourself wholly in the earth illusions of this dream world in order to be able to create a body and develop in it a personal or self-consciousness capable of fully expressing my perfection. Thus was born your human personality, and since its birth have I impelled you to nourish, support, and strengthen it by filling you with longings, hopes, ambitions, and aspirations with all the various manifestations of desire, which are but the human phases of my will, operating in the preparation and development of a medium capable of expressing perfectly my attributes on earth. So what about if we think about the things that we've desired that seemed malicious, seemed sinful, seemed bad and wrong because of our perspective on them? What if all of those desires, the needing, the craving, the longing, were placed in us by the higher Holy Spirit self so that we would have that experience of learning? And it's not because we're bad but because we're simply in that school of learning, in that phase of the curriculum, in that classroom. And nobody goes into that classroom because they're bad. Everybody goes into the classroom because they are inherently good and they're exploring what it's like to think they're not. So we can learn the choose. Yes, so we can learn, so we can really choose and use divine will and choose divine will. If there's nothing to choose, right, there's not a lot of learning. And so I spoke the word and drove you out of the Garden of Eden and clothed you with a coat of skin, or in other words, with flesh, the same as other animals. For now, in order that you might enter into the heart of earth conditions, into the real earth, the earth of my idea, not the one of your dream, so as to quicken my idea therein into active life expression, you, my attribute, had to have an organism and a covering appropriate to the conditions in which you were to manifest in your dream. Likewise, in thus giving you a coat of skin, did I, by so doing, provide my idea with a suitable form for earthly expression. I gave you the power to express yourself through a definite organism by means of words. In the impersonal, there is no use or necessity for words. Ideas alone exist and express. In the impersonal, there is no use or necessity for words. Ideas alone exist and express. They simply are, for they are the expression of the various phases of my being. But in this dream condition, where every expression in these early stages of outer being had to have a form and substance that could be heard, seen, felt, smelled, or tasted, in order that its meaning could be clearly apprehended, apprehended, there naturally had to be provided organisms capable of being used for the double purpose of expression and 
of understanding what was expressed. As my idea unfold, unfolded itself, after your expulsion from Eden, you, one of my divine attributes, dwelling within my idea of that attribute and expression, in turn, dwelling within the thought image of myself, and finally manifesting outwardly in the earth form of words. When impelled by my will, in the guise of desire, to express my meaning began rapidly to increase and multiply. In your search for those most favorable conditions for the manifestation of your particular attributes, you gradually spread over the face of the earth, quickening and arousing the intelligence dormant in all forms of life, contacted into fuller and more active expression of their particular phases of my idea. Thus were formed the various languages of earth, each containing many words and all born of desire in the human mind to express in earthly terms the infinite phases of my idea ever surging within. The more the human mind strove thus to express in words my idea, the greater and more abject the failure. Right? Because using words. In time will the great awakening come that all words are but symbols of one idea and all ideas of whatsoever nature are but phases of one idea, my idea of myself in expression and that all desire to express in words that idea without the consciousness of my will being the one and only source of inspiration is futile. Likewise, all desire to express that idea in living acts without losing all consciousness of your human personality, of your personal part in the acts and centering yourself wholly in me is vain and fruitless and will end only in failure, disappointment, and humiliation. So we come, we're coming full circle back to the place where, yes, everything is provided by God and we are inspired to take loving action, to create things in this world, to be in this world and to freely love and express and that we are following that divine impetus and only that divine impetus. But now, instead of everything being done for us, it's really being done by us and through us. So you can see how in the Garden of Eden, everything's provided for you. You're in this consciousness of uh, just accepting everything. You get cast out of the Garden of Eden, and now you feel like a victim. Things are happening to you. This is happening to me. I didn't create this. You see? So you that victim consciousness started. You know, everything was great. Well, it's your fault. You ate the apple. You ate from the tree of good and evil. God said, don't do that. Why did you do it? So that, that accusation that, oh, that was stupid, that was bad, that was wrong, we're being punished now, all of that started. Feeling guilty feeling like a victim, it all started. I can tell you that years ago I had, uh, through a, a meditation, I, I came into this awareness of before I had a first incarnation as a human, 
And um, so I think I came to this world before uh, being a human, I came in other forms. And um, I've had some memories of those as well. And, um, but first incarnation as a human, I came in as uh, someone from another dimension, another realm, thinking, oh, I, I'm really interested in this amazing human journey that's going on. And I'd like to be helpful. I'd like to come in and, and help teach about, teach the, the uh, agrarians that are just beginning to learn about that, about the cycles of Mother Earth, and to really help with that. And I, I had this memory of my guides saying, well, just remember, once you get into that human experience and identification with the body, it's going to be a really wild ride. You have never done this before. You have no idea what this is going to be like. And I was kind of arrogant thinking, oh, no, I got this. I got this. No, I, I get what it's about. No, I, I can handle that. But then I got into this incarnation and I was just, uh, completely overwhelmed by the physical, the, the lust and desire and fear. And it just, whoa, I got way off track what I thought I could accomplish. And yet no mistakes have been made. So, and I came in to be a leader and I was a terrible leader. I was a terrible, terrible leader. But you know what? You can learn from a terrible leader. You can learn how to be a good leader from watching, you know, a leader that's selfish and um, self-centered and frightened and shaming and blaming and accusing. You can still learn from them, right? So no mistakes have been made. I'm reminded of Patricia Cotarobos, her Who Am I and Why Am I Here? Uh, book when you when you just got through talking Jennifer because she describes uh, at least from her understanding and what's been shown to her uh, that there were beings that came from other places here to help uh, and uh, had the best intentions but the uh, they didn't realize how difficult it was in, in being able to hold on to their purpose uh, and also experience human emotions yeah. uh, and that that got the best of them. Um, and that's what kind of weighed down vibrationally, the karma moves from the fifth, fourth down to the third dimension. Uh, and that now these portals are being open and the, the vibration is rising where we're able to now uh, get back to more of that understanding, collective understanding. Yes, beautifully said, Ron. And so forgiveness is the way back. There's no other way back. Forgiveness is the way back. Compassion is the way back. Because compassion is non-judgment. Forgiveness is non-judgment. That's the way back. And it's not even back in a sense. It's we're just bringing it full circle. And, and to be in a much higher place of awareness and... And who knows what will come next once we've accomplished this. It's a never-ending adventure. Two other things I'd like that I feel called to share. Uh, one is a, actually a metaphor story that I heard uh, Monday night. And I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not 
going to tell it exactly right. It's very, very basic and very simple. But there's some spiritual teacher, maybe, maybe it's Buddhism even, uh, that, um, that teaches that we're all on the same train. We're all going to the same place. Uh, and, we have, and we have to bring all our belongings with us. The question is, or some, some people decide to hold their belongings the whole time and weigh down by those and be miserable by those, and others decide to set them down and sit down and enjoy the ride. Um, because, but it doesn't matter whether you're holding the belongings the whole time or whether you're sitting down and enjoying the ride because trains go in the same place for everybody. <laughs> so I, I I really like that, uh, and then uh, Journey Beyond Words is a book I really like. It's kind of a continuation of A Course in Miracles, uh, and Brent Haskell kind of describes what you're talking about in the terms of think just just be a joyful child, playing with what you have. This is all given you. You know, you're this is these are all these attributes. There's nothing that can happen to you. You've, you've chosen for whatever reason to be part of this. Um, uh, but you, you can't do anything wrong. So have some fun. Just go out and, 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 you know, look at a young child that's three or four or five years old and out just playing that they're, they're, they're just, they don't, they, they don't have a care in the world. They're just expressing themselves. They're just having fun. Uh, and, uh, to approach, approach life that way. Yes. Yeah. And it's when it doesn't feel joyful that we can say, I surrender, I'm willing to be joyful, I'm willing to remember to laugh. Yeah, thank you for that. That was great, Ron. So, uh, I would like to take just a few minutes here and go to Seven Sacred Flames and uh, page 111. Um, so, uh, actually, on 110, uh, there's a paragraph here in kind of in the middle of the page uh, that uh, I know you've heard me say many, many different ways. This was such a key learning for me uh, when I, I got this uh, a long time ago. It says, unless a teaching and key of wisdom is learned thoroughly and integrated through the heart, it remains just information and clutter in your mind soon forgotten. And so think about how we were talking about children learning, right? People learning. So imagine that I'm going to tell you all how to, um, how to make a quiche. I make a great quiche Lorraine. I'm going to tell you how to make that quiche. And uh, I'm just going to tell you words, you know, speak to you in sentences. No demonstration, no pictures. I'm just going to tell you how to do it. Now, some of you, because of your previous experience, you'll be able to walk it through in your mind and totally get it. Oh, okay, now I could go make that quiche Lorraine too. And other of you, you'll, you'll be just hearing 
la 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 you know and you'll hear cream la 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 eggs la 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 flour la 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 bacon la 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 cheese familiar things right so this is what it's saying here is if we don't take it into our heart and really experience it it's just information ultimately it does not advance your evolution the evolution of your consciousness we know people who've read hundreds of spiritual books they've acquired mental knowledge and when this knowledge is not integrated to embody their divinity spiritual progress remains marginal so then so this is fourth ray right so fourth ray is our ascension right fourth ray and uh, so it, on the uh, 111 here it says uh, well actually I'm going to back up no, I'll read the whole paragraph before. Allow me, this is the bottom of 110. Allow me to mention to you briefly again, repeating what has been said before, in the hope that if repeated often enough, it will eventually sink in. Ascension does not require the doing of so many things, but it is all about becoming, embracing, and remembering to live your lives as the God goddess that you are. It means fully embracing the divinity that already exists within you through the expansion of your consciousness as beings of love and living from the wisdom of your heart. It is that simple, my beloveds. If you become this, you do not need anything else. All this already exists and lives within you. I remind you that there is nothing outside the self. And then... Uh, here are some of the main points or guidelines to be understood and considered about the initiatic path leading to your graduation from Earth's curriculum through the Ascension Protocols. Right? I, I, I feel it's very valuable to us to, to be very familiar with all these bullet points and to take them to our heart. And for some reason, I'm being reminded of talks about living as the god and goddess that you are so uh, this morning i went to pilates class at a new place and they had me fill out a form and um, one of the things they asked for was what is the name i like to be called you know because sometimes um you know somebody's name might might be richard but they prefer to be called rich not dick or something like that right so um i thought you know, I prefer to be called gorgeous. Jennifer is good, but I, I like being called gorgeous. That feels good to me. So I put that down on the form. <laughs> and I just thought, well, it'll be interesting. Who calls me gorgeous? You know, or who even says anything about it? Do they even look at these forms? Would they be afraid to talk about it? Will they call me? What will they do? Right? So we'll see. Um, but just being playful with things too. And, and, and uh, it's like, did you ever see um, my, my goddaughter's father made a documentary kind of a thing for Dove Soap about uh, where they had these um, uh, signs over the, 
the doors of this big office building and over one door it said beautiful and the other one I think said not beautiful or something like that. And, and so he did this whole film about the, how people responded to the signs over the doors, which doors did they go through and then how did they feel when they got through the door. Anybody see that, that video? Ron Todd. Yeah. Um, What's the name of it? I don't remember what it was called. Right. Yeah, it was part of my um, 40 Days of Pray and Clear, I think. So um, I, I could post it in, in our group or put it in the blog again. And um, so, uh, yeah, it's interesting. These labels that we reject, the ones we accept, the ones we feel comfortable with, the ones we don't feel comfortable with. So, I feel prompted to say something. Can I? Yeah. So, we talked initially in this class about the clinical and how I was talking about the taxi and how I was uncomfortable and stuff. And it came to me during the class that, I mean, it's come to me before how it's a, such it's a gift, right? It's a gift. And I'm like, oh man, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's challenging to think that. And then when you read this, I saw it so clearly where it says you learn, you read all this stuff and it's soon forgotten and how, how it's it to, to understand something thoroughly and integrate it into the heart. And what it, however it is appears, it appears like my brain, it can't, I used to real, I'm not that used to be, I, I don't know how to put it in words, but I used to be all over. I used to read. I was a voracious reader. I do all this stuff. And it seems like now um, I need to be more centered, more focused. And so this, what you're reading is exactly, it, so this is a gift to me because it's help. It's, it's not forcing me, but to really get it, it the focus needs to be there what i don't know I, i'm not <laughs> words are challenging sometimes but um so it's helpful in that way because it's kind of not forcing me but you know i feel more comfortable because it scatters me of all this information right so now i'm more focused and so i really hear that in what you spoke so i just i just needed to speak that because I'll forget it again. I've remembered it before, but I forget it a lot. Now it's recorded. <laughs> so um, maybe, you know, I can always remember it. So thank you. Yeah, it's, it's similar to what I was saying about the, the quiche, right? Um, like when it, when it comes to my car and the engine in the car, there's something to do with combustion that makes that car run. I'm sure of that. And so there's a whole thing that happens in the engine that requires oil and gasoline and water, and spark plugs to make that combustion happen. But how it all works, I can just tell you that I push that button and it starts. 
or I turn the key and it starts because of combustion. So that's like an indication of faith, right? Well, it's just my experience is that if it's working properly, I turn the key and it works and I can rely on that. But what, I'm, but what I'm saying is you don't, it's, you don't have to, you don't wrap your mind around, I got to know how it works, so it works, right? So you let go of that, you know, you know, it just does, right? It's faith, right? And you're just going to do it, and it it turns over, and sometimes it may not, <laughs> whatever. You know, in that instance, I don't know, I mean, there's some degree of faith, but I would say it's more based on my experience, it works. And sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes I have to call AAA and they do something and now it works. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I know what it is they do and sometimes I don't. Sometimes it's just they did something that they did something to the thing that wasn't working and now that thing is working and the whole engine works. But um, yeah, this feels very key to something. I don't know, like something, something here. See, Carla, for me, for me, it's not that um, I don't know how it works. I don't know how life works. I don't know how the universal law works. But I do need to know how to use it. I don't know how it works. I'll never figure that out but I need to know how to use it. So uh, Jennifer is not going to take her engine apart and know exactly how that combustion works, but she knows how to use it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's very well said. So for instance, I know, I know for sure that my thought can bring things into form. Yes. I know that because I've demonstrated it so many times. I've demonstrated it for things that I enjoy and I've demonstrated for things I don't enjoy. And I, but how it actually goes from being my thought to being informed, there's a mystery there I don't quite understand. I, I do know this, I know that all of life is intelligent. And so for instance, the, uh, the most minute particles, you know, the, the protons and the neurons and everything is part of the God mind and it's all responding all the time. And that when we don't believe in rust, rust will stop happening. When we don't believe that things will break down, it won't, they won't break down. But is it bad that they're breaking now down now or that rust happens or that winter happens or any of that no no it's all just part of the learning don't need to judge it but just how exactly does it work i don't know how do the elements and uh, the elemental beings uh, go from being um thought to molecule to a flower i, d I don't really know I know there's learning and training in there that uh, they're, they're learning how to uh, c come into expression as a flower. I know they're working with uh, 
devas and nature spirits and all kinds of beings helping them nurturing them to become the flower uh, just like there's all kinds of um, invisible energy that's helping you know the cut on my hand to heal my hair to grow and all these systems to unfold and that if i am using my god power my god mind that I can actually have an experience where the tumor is healed instantaneously. You know, the, 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 um, the years of uh, age and uh, all of that can be healed overnight, you know, let's say. Uh, that all of these things can transpire. The kidney stone can dissolve into nothingness without time. Ernest Holmes, one of my favorite sayings, time does not take healing. A healing does not take time. There is no time required in healing. All that's required is a realization, realization of truth. So all the information that we have gathered about how the engine works cannot heal the engine. We, we could manually learn how to fix the engine, but if we are in tune with the infinite, fully and completely, then literally we could have the engine heal without having to touch it. Yeah, I'm realizing that I'm trying to figure it out by this faith that works, it's this that works. And so what I'm hearing from you is it just works. It just works. It doesn't matter how or what to do. It's that it's none of this faith. It's just that knowing, right, that that it works <laughs> and let go of how it works well you know we're we're in the we're we're in this phase of life where if the refrigerator breaks down you know there are certain things that could be going wrong and so we could learn how to fix it or repair it um i i would say most of us do not have the uh consciousness to repair the refrigerator with our mind at this moment in time, right? But that's where we're headed. That's where we're going. So right now we're still learning mm -hmm. how things work and to repair them manually. But more and more, we're mm -hmm. learning how to do the healing at the level of the mind. So what's our great tool? The body, right? The body is teaching us all the time how to do the healing at the level of the mind. What's the next greatest tool that we have to learn about the power of the mind? our relationships so depending on how we think about other people and ourselves we see how that uh, dramatically affects our relationships and that it works in the invisible when we forgive ourselves other people now they're not holding anything against us when we love ourselves now oh now they can embrace us too it's all happening in the invisible field of mind and we're working our way towards where the crops will grow because all the elements that are participating in the growth of the crops are aligned with us because we're aligned with them and we can call forth the crop to be planted, to be grown, all those things. I truly believe that. So, 
So I'm just going to read this first bullet point. We're over time here. The process is one of complete purification and healing of all that is hindering your transfiguration, resurrection, and ascension into the arms of God love. The restoration of your dignity and memory so that you live once again as divine children of your heavenly father, creator, entering the world of oneness. So we, and we don't have to figure out how to make that happen. We really just allow it. It's really just about letting go of every thought we have that it can't happen. It's not happening. It won't happen. We don't deserve it. Which, you know, we're still healing that original sense of guilt. All right. So we're making our way towards the resurrection and ascension. Just a couple weeks from Easter here. Any thoughts or questions? Nope. If everybody looks on their chat, I posted the name of a video on YouTube. It's called Choose Beautiful by Dove. It's only three and a half minutes. It's really cool. Yeah, I think there's, there's an hour-long version. There's different versions of it. The one I saw was just a three and a half minute one. I'll have to look for the longer one. I didn't realize there was one, but uh, yeah, that one was really. Yeah, uh, I think Paul said there was an hour long one. I'm going to be with them next week, so maybe I'll ask him more about it. Yeah, it's beautiful work. Did you see the video I placed on my blog the other day about unboxing? Oh, that's so good. So good. I think it was Monday. So, so good. All right. Breath of love and gratitude, opening our heart, opening our mind to dynamic love. We are consciously releasing, relinquishing, surrendering every thought that blocks our awareness of the truth. We are grateful to partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self and to allow spirit to do the heavy lifting. We don't have to figure out how to have a healing. We're calling it forth. We're willing. We're using our divine will to call it forth and accept it and allow it. So we're calling forth physical healing, emotional healing, mental healing, etheric healing, spiritual healing on all levels. We're accepting our God power and we're using it for good, for love, for joy, for freedom, for peace, for harmony, for abundance and prosperity, for wholeness, for beauty. We are grateful and thankful to allow ourselves dynamic wisdom flowing through our awareness at all times. We share the benefits with everyone because we're one with them. In gratitude, we allow it to be and so it is. Amen. 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 Yes. So I encourage you to go over and discuss with your prayer partners um, that, that section there about ascension uh, starting on page 111, those bullet points. Excellent. And I love you. So good to be with you. Mwah. Bye for now.